Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. I'm going to invite Luke up again. All we need is love. La, da, 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 da. All we need is love. Don't join in, just let me do it myself. La, da, 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 da. All we need is love. Love. Love is. All we need is love. Is Matt Callard here today? He's been requesting me to sing for many weeks and now he has not turned up to church on the week that I have preached. He's there. There he is. Thank you, Matt. So there you go. Matt has been requesting that for a number of weeks and it's always good to start a sermon with an angelic voice. Hey? Didn't even hit record. I'm not doing it again, mate. It's a once only. I would not put people through that a second time. Singing is clearly a gift from heaven that God has not endowed on me. But even if you didn't recognise the tune, you probably recognise the lyrics to that song, credited to John Lennon and Paul McCartney in 1967. And while it may be true that the exact lyrics came from them, I think the sentiment came centuries earlier from Jesus himself. When asked by the so-called experts of the law, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And he said, the second one is like it. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. In the passage read today of chapter 12 of Paul's letter to the Romans, Paul addresses the concept of love to both God and to one another. I've got to say, I've been looking forward to this particular part of Romans because it's immensely practical. I've been preaching through some passages in Romans that have been fairly deep, a little complex to understand. But it'd be fair to say that today's passage is not hard to understand, but it is hard to do. So we need to pray that God would help us to love him and to love others. And so how do we go about doing that? How do we love God? And how do we love others? Well, Paul starts his discussion at the beginning of this chapter with four challenging words. He says, love must be sincere. Love 
must be sincere. Four very challenging words. I think in an increasingly secular world, people are not as open or interested in hearing from Christians, but one thing that still has an impact, one thing that breaks down the walls, is sincere love. In 2017, McCrindle did a research project where they investigated faith in Australia. And I was really surprised as I read through the research, I was really eager to read all about it. What did people that weren't of faith think of Christianity? And I was really surprised by the the number one blocker to people considering faith. The number one blocker was not that we're hypocritical or irrelevant or bigots, which we're often accused of, but the biggest turnoff from Christianity to faith was celebrities professing to be Christians. I don't know whether it's the Trump effect or what it is, but isn't it funny that when we put on an outreach event, the first thing we want to do is find a celebrity who professes Jesus to come and tell the gospel message, but the research shows that it's not something that pre-Christian people are necessarily interested in because they deem that it was not sincere. On the flip side, and let me quote exactly from the report, it says, observing people with genuine faith is the greatest attraction to investigating spirituality. Those surveyed responded by revealing they were most attracted to Christians who showed genuine love to the world around them. Let me quote directly again. It says, Australians most value Christian organisations for their work with those in need, specifically looking after people who are homeless, offering financial assistance or food relief programs, and providing disaster relief. So what does this tell us? Well, it tells us that today, in 2018, People in Australia are most impacted by Christians who have a genuine faith hallmarked by a sincere love for those around them. What else does it tell us? Well, it tells us that nothing's changed since Paul's day. The call of every Christian has always been to show sincere love inspired by our Saviour and Lord, Jesus Christ himself. All we need is love. And so I want to ask you those questions again today. How are we going with our love in these two particular areas? How passionate is our love for God and how sincere is our love for others? Now, before you answer that, because I can see you're very eager to yell out your own personal response, I think it's important to define love. What is love? We live in a world that has a very romanticised version of love, where every Romeo finds his Juliet, where Harry meets Sally, where Cinderella marries her prince, And if it's not overly romanticised, it's commercialised. Where a farmer wants a husband or a wife. Or you can put people on a love island semi-naked and expect true love to be the end result. Or you can have a bachelor called the honey badger who convinces multiple women he loves them only to leave them heartbroken at the altar. A so-called love based on emotions and feelings and circumstances, but not on commitment or respect. It's critical that we clearly define what love Paul is talking about in this passage. And it's not that kind of love that we see on our TV screens. The love described in Romans chapter 12 is incredibly different. Love in this passage is the Greek word agape, which is best translated as unconditional and self-sacrificial love. Love that flows directly from God himself. Now, up until this point in the letter, every time Paul has mentioned agape love, he's done so exclusively in the vertical dimension. In other words, every time he's used agape, he's done so to describe the extraordinary love that God has shown to us in the person of Christ. For example, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love, his own agape for us in this. 
that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans 8 verse 38, Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation, could ever separate us from the love, the agape love of God that is in Jesus our Lord. It's the same word that we see in John 3.16. For God so agaped the world that he gave his one and only son. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. We're coming up to December. This is the reason for the season. Next week we commence our Christmas series and we pause our Roman series until January. And I wonder in the midst of this busy season this year, are we reciprocating God's extraordinary love expressed to us with sincere love directed back to him? This church should grip our heart every single day. The truth of the gospel, what God has given to us in his son, because God gave his only son, not just to model perfect faith for us to strive towards, but to die a sacrificial death in our place and to rise from the dead, to give us hope that in him we can conquer death as well. This is extraordinary, life-changing love. And so I want to encourage you, in the midst of everything this Christmas, don't forget that's what Christmas is all about, to remember the gift of God's Son, and to choose to be in awe and gratitude of his gift every single day of our lives. And so I ask you the question, how are you going when it comes to your love for God? Is there a passion in your faith? Or is it a bit ho-hum? Are you committed to your service to him? Is he number one priority of your life? Or has he been squeezed off the throne and replaced by other things? Verse 11 says, never. How often? Well done. Never means never. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. The New Bible Commentary says that that statement is better translated like this. Allow oneself to be set on fire by the Holy Spirit. I love that. Allow oneself to be set on fire by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't sound like a ho-hum faith. It doesn't sound like a Sunday-only faith. It sounds like an every minute of every day kind of faith where we are passionate and burning with a love for God that will overflow from him to others. As the love of Christ grips your heart and steals your affection every day, may it overflow in love to God and sincere love to one another and to the world around you. How do we keep that zeal in our faith? Well, I think verse 12 goes on to explain how. It says, be joyful. So you can smile this morning. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer. Now we're at the end of the year and you might think, well that sounds great Luke, but how can I be joyful when I'm so stressed? How can I be patient when I'm so busy? How can I be faithful in prayer when I'm so tired? Well the good news is this, that every one of those attributes is actually a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. To make you wait for that one. Faithfulness, kindness, goodness, self control. Can we be joyful in hope? Can we be patient in affliction? Can we be faithful in prayer? Yes, we can because they are fruits of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. You don't need to conjure these things up yourself. They're the fruit of the Holy Spirit living in you. And so if your love for God has gone cold, if your faith this morning feels dry, 
Maybe you simply need to ask God today for a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit to bring you back to that first love that you once had, to bring back that spiritual fervor, that joy in service that you once had. And so how's your love for God? Secondly, this morning, how's your love for one another? As I said before, every time Paul uses the word love in the first 12 and a half chapters of Romans, he's been describing God's extraordinary love towards us. But finally, after 12 and a half chapters, Paul now applies this same agape love from God to us in his instructions on how we should love each other. And so for the first time in Romans, it goes from that vertical love to that horizontal love because it's the cross of Christ at work within Christian community. This is what we are to apply to one another. And I think there's a deliberate order in the commandments Jesus gave. To first love God and then to love others like yourself. The best thing I can do for my wife, and this might sound a bit strange, but the best thing I can do for my wife is to love her second. The greatest example for my kids I can ever be is to prioritise my relationship with God. The biggest blessing I can be to you as our church family is to love God first. Why? Because when we love God and we allow his love to shape us, we are plugging into an infinite source of love. Because God is love. See, if we love other things first, our love for God diminishes. But when we love God first, our love for everyone else increases because he gives us a greater capacity to love. If you are growing in love for God, your capacity to love others will also increase. Now, if you read this passage and you look at all these characteristics of love, that God expects of us towards one another, you'll soon realise that you need God's help to love this way because we don't naturally gravitate to these things. Love must be sincere, and then Paul defines what it looks like, and so the title of this message is Love Bites. Not the kind that Kim gives me because I'm irresistible. I need to put my collar up to hide them. Not those kind of love bites. The things you can say when your wife is in follow kids. It's awesome, isn't it? And you know the rule. What happens in the service stays in the service. Some of you are very disobedient when it comes to that rule. So let me say it again. What happens here stays here. It's not those kind of love bites. I'm talking about B-Y-T-E-S, all those things that come together to help us define what love towards one another actually looks like. You've heard of the seven deadly sins. Today we're going to counteract those with the seven love bites. And we're going to move through them fairly quickly. And as we can, you can use this today at the end of a year as a spiritual health check to see where you're at personally, where we're at corporately when it comes to loving others. And so the first love bite is this, that we are to love God. We've already spoken about this, but I want to emphasise it again because it is the most important one, that we are to love God. All other love flows from the reciprocal love we have with God. He first loves us and we love him in return. And through this reciprocated love, God fills our love tank to the point where it can overflow, giving us the capacity to love him and to love others. And so this is the number one most important love bite today, is to love God. And so if you're a note taker, write it down. And then write down the question, am I loving God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my strength, and with all of my mind? Love bite number two is to love good. Love God and then love good. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Isn't it interesting in this description of love that it includes hate? Love includes hating 
what is evil and at the same time clinging to what is good. When we hate injustice, when we hate violence, when we hate abuse, when we hate gossip, when we hate division, when we hate hypocrisy, when we hate selfishness, when we hate sin, that is a holy hate that produces a righteous anger which fuels a sincere love when used in a godly way. And we think those words are incompatible. They're like oxymorons. What did you learn at church today? Well, my pastor told me to hate. He told me to be angry. Great. What church do you go to? I'll avoid that one. But they're not incompatible. They're actually completely compatible when used in the wrong way, in the right way. In the right way. Let's get that right. (laughs) It's a holy hate. There's a righteous anger, completely compatible when they come from a sincere love. God hates injustice. He hates violence. He hates abuse. He hates gossip. He hates division. He hates hypocrisy. He hates selfishness. He hates sin. When we truly love God, we love the things that he loves and we start to hate the things that he hates. I want to clarify today, of all the things that we're meant to hate, it will never include people. If there are two bins, this is the one I fill up with the things I hate and this is the one I fill up with the things I love, then you will never find people in this one because they belong in this one. We're always called to love people, even our enemies. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us this. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Hate what is evil, but at the same time, cling to what is good. I've got some friends that went and saw the movie Titanic 13 times at the cinemas. They loved it so much, they went back 13 times. It goes for over three hours. It's around about 39 hours of their life watching one movie. You can imagine them standing before Jesus one day, giving an account for their life. And they start by saying, I watched Titanic 13 times. I used 39 hours of my life. And I think Jesus would probably say, away from me, you evildoer, I never knew you. (laughs) The movie wasn't that bad. But I saw it once for three hours and that was enough. But I do remember the scene where the unsinkable boat went down and eventually Rose and Jack, Leo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, find themselves in the water and they find a door floating there and Jack puts Rose up on the door. Now when you Google this and you look at the image, the door is so big that Jack could have been on it as well. And so you wonder, it's a little selfish, don't you think, watching him in the water and you're up on the door. But anyway, that's another story. But it comes to that scene where eventually Jack freezes to death. And you might remember Kate Winslet or Rose going, Jack, Jack, Jack. I better stop because I'm getting teary. But it was a very emotional scene. Jack is frozen to death and, and Rose is still up on this door and she survives to tell the story at an old age because she clung to the door. In the midst of all the danger, the obstacles, the sickness, the freezing cold, the water, the sharks, in the midst of all that, she clung to the door and she survived. We live in a world that can be incredibly and increasingly evil. Paul's advice, hate what is evil, and in the midst of it, cling to what is good. Because that's what love does. Love God, love good, and thirdly, love puts others first. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Who here finds it easy to honour others above themselves? I don't know why I've got my hand up, because I don't find it easy either. Uh, There's no liars here this morning. That's great. 
I think all of us struggle sometimes, don't we, to honour other people above ourselves. It's not always easy. But sincere God-given love honours others above ourselves. It's radically countercultural. Kim and I like to go to the cinemas, not to watch Titanic, but to watch other things. And recently I've, I've noticed there's, a, there's an ad for MeBank. And the song just that goes over and over again. Has anyone seen that ad, MeBank? And the song just goes, me, 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 me. And it just keeps doing that over and over again. And there you go, there's another one for you today, Matt. Not recording again, that's good. But it's, a, it's an annoying ad, but I think it's clever marketing because I think it captures the main desire of the world. And if we're honest, it often captures the main desire of our own hearts. We don't gravitate towards loving other people. We don't gravitate towards putting God first. We often gravitate towards putting ourselves first. I think none of these elements of love can be divorced from the first part of Romans chapter 12. It said, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know what God's good and pleasing will is. Our mind, church, needs to be renewed. It needs to be transformed by the love of Christ. If we're going to live for others first, if we're going to honour them above ourselves, we need the Holy Spirit to do some radical renewing of our minds. And this is where Christian love is so incredibly different. I tried to think of a relevant example for us even on a weekend as we gather, and I came up with one, and I don't think you're going to like it. I thought about what our arrival time at church communicates. And then I thought of our worship team who are here at the crack of dawn, practicing their instruments. What a great job they do. Getting their voices ready, praying together, preparing to create an opportunity for all of us to enter into worship. Now, I understand that some people have legitimate reasons for their arrival time at church, particularly with young kids. Just getting here in that season is a great effort. But there's many others that have just got in the habit of coming five minutes, ten minutes, 20 minutes late every week and arriving at the end of the first bracket of songs that our musicians have so diligently prepared for. And I wonder, what does that communicate? Does it communicate that my time is more important than yours? Or does it communicate that my time is less important to yours? Does it honour the commitment of our musicians above ourselves or does it honour ourselves more because we can't be bothered getting out of bed in time? It's gone awfully quiet in here this morning. It's good to think about these things and the little things and in the big things of life. And I've got to say, this week I was tested in this area myself. Tuesday night I was at the Blessed Collective Food Van, serving on the team, caring for the homeless, lonely and disadvantaged in our community. And halfway through the night, a young guy turned up in a wheelchair. Well, when I say young, he was 41. It's pretty young. I'm not that old, but it's still very young. Life begins at 60, isn't that what the song says? Life begins at 60, something like that. So 41 is very young. And he turned up for the first time ever in a wheelchair. And he's in a wheelchair because four years ago, due to complications with his epilepsy, he lost his leg. And on Tuesday afternoon, he went to the surgeon who told him that due to complications with diabetes, they have to take off his other foot. And he came to the food van because he said he has no friends. He has one friend that lives a long way away. He doesn't have anyone that can talk to him. His parents have abandoned him. He's telling me that his partner has had a mental breakdown. They can't afford to keep their four kids in the school that they're in and they're about to lose their house. And through tears and brokenness, he said to me, I'm ashamed and I'm embarrassed 
as a man of the house that I can't provide for my family. It was a tragic story. He said, four years ago, I could never imagine my life being where it is. You know, many of us are just a few crises away from being in the same situation. It's a tragic story. So I asked him what we could do to help. And I offered to get him some meals organised. I offered to catch up and chat and have a coffee and just be a friend. I offered him some Coles gift cards for some groceries this week. And then I asked him if I could pray for him. He's not a Christian guy, but I asked if he would mind if I prayed. And it's amazing how often people just say yes. He said, yes, you can pray. And so I prayed for him. At the end of the prayer, I gave him my phone number and I said, ring me this week, any time, and I can organise some assistance for you. Now, you might be thinking, Luke, well done. That's our pastor. Pat on the back. Great job. And I wish I could say that that was where the story ended. But I want to be honest. We've always wanted to be a transparent church. I've always wanted to be a transparent person. And I'm going to be honest with you this morning. The first thing that went through my mind as he wheeled his wheelchair away was I don't know how I could possibly find time this week to help him. Here's where I caught myself. This is where the Holy Spirit started to convict me because I was thinking to myself, I can't help this guy this week because I'm too busy preparing a message to preach to you to convince you to be people who has a love that is sincere. Let me say that again. I was too busy preparing a message to preach to you, telling you that your love must be sincere. What a hypocrite. It's a reminder, I've still got a lot of work to do when it comes to loving others. It's a reminder that we don't gravitate towards serving others and honouring them above ourselves. If we're honest, we naturally gravitate to ourselves. And yet the love that Paul's talking about is a love that goes to the point of inconvenience and then it keeps going beyond that to the point of self-sacrifice. That's what it is to honour others above ourselves. It's Jesus, others, Yourself, J-O-Y, this is where we find joy in our lives. Let's say this together this morning. Jesus, others, yourself. Let's say it again like you're going to do it this week. Jesus, others, yourself. This is a radical love. This is a mind-renewed kind of a love. This is a world-changing kind of love. Where we honour others above ourselves. We are designed to live in this order and in this way And as we do, we find joy and we find purpose in living out the lives that God's asked us to live. Love honours others above itself. Fourthly, love is generous. Verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. You will know by now that generosity is one of the five key focuses of our church. We believe that God is an abundantly generous God and everything we have from him is a gift that he has given to us. So we should never be tight-fisted. We should always be open-handed with everything that God has given us. We are called to be people who are generous. We want to be generous to the world around us because we know that stinginess repels, but generosity attracts. And so we want to be generous to people in our world, but I think a great training ground is generosity amongst one another. It's a great place to start. Galatians 6 verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So look around today. Look to your left and your right. means moving your neck. That's good. In front of you, behind you. You might just see people. But what I see this morning are targets of your generosity. How can you be generous to someone today? 
Maybe it's with your words. Maybe it's with your ears. Maybe it's taking opportunity to bless. Can I encourage you to be generous with your time, with your talents, and with your treasures, because that's what love does. Fifthly, love is hospitable. Sounds self-explanatory, but once again, it's easy to understand, not as commonly practiced. In the Greek, this has a sense of hospitality as we understand it, but it also has a sense of looking out for the stranger. This is why we do the one-minute welcome every single week. It's a chance to meet and show hospitality to someone you don't yet know or don't know very well. I've shared this story before, but I'll never forget a conversation I had with a young person uh, soon after we started Follow. She just started attending. And I went and asked her, how are you finding Follow Baptist Church? And she said, I'm absolutely loving it. She said, all except one thing. I said, what's that? She said, I absolutely hate the one-minute welcome. I said, why do you hate it so much? And she said, well, I'm an introvert, and I I feel uncomfortable um, getting out of my seat and talking to someone else. I'd rather just sit in my seat. And I said, I understand that. Not everyone is extroverted. But I said, there's one area of our church I want us to be uncomfortable. It's to be stepping out in terms of welcoming others. And so we continued our conversation, and she continued to go on, and she was telling me how she connected with another girl at church who'd become her closest friend. I said, how did you get to know her? She didn't even realize what she was saying, but she said one day in the one-minute welcome, she came over and she introduced herself, and she kept talking, at which point I interrupted. And I said, hang on a second, hang on, just let me get this right. Your closest friend at church is somebody you met in the one-minute welcome you hate. And she had one of those aha moments, and she looked at me and said, yeah, I guess you're right. That's where I met her. And I wonder what would have happened if someone hadn't have gone out of their way to say hello to that girl she may never have connected. And maybe she never would have made follow her home. Hebrews 13, verse 1 says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. We don't know who we're introducing ourselves to after a service, but what we do know is that we'll never introduce ourselves to someone who is not precious to God. My absolute pet hate is when I look around after a service and I see people sitting by themselves. I look around, I see bunches of friends talking to one another and that's a great thing and guess what, you can do that any time. But my pet hate is when I watch people sitting by themselves. We just talked about being the most welcoming church in the planet and then there's people sitting by themselves. I hate it. It breaks my heart. Just recently I spoke at a regional pastor's event and at Terelgan, and they asked me to share some of the follow journey with them so far. And as part of that presentation, I mentioned that we aim to be the most welcoming church on the planet. A fellow pastor came up to me after the talk, and he said, I visited follow recently, and I loved the service, really enjoyed the message. Worship was great. But he said, I certainly didn't find you to be welcoming. He said, after the service, me and my wife sat alone for ages, nobody spoke to us, and then my kids went to play basketball, and no one included them. And it was like a knife... <laughs> Oh, man, that hurts. It's like a kick in the guts. Now, I'm not saying that we're not good at this because the vast majority of feedback is that we are a very warm and welcoming church. We are warm and friendly. And I want to commend each of you for that because it takes an effort on all of us. It's all of our job to welcome people. I think you're overall wonderful at doing that, and that's the feedback we get. But it's a reminder that we're not perfect at it. And every single weekend is another opportunity to show sincere love through hospitality. And you might think, oh, we just had an off week, but that off week might be the only time someone comes to church. And maybe they'll never go back again. And so let's not have off weeks. Let's be brilliant at this. Let's be the most welcoming church in the planet, on the planet. What difference could it make if you had a conversation with someone alone today? 
What impact would it have if you invited them back to a cafe for lunch or even better, back to your own house? I think that simple gesture has the potential to change someone's life. Love is hospitable. Number six, love is unconditional even to our enemies. Fourteen, bless those who persecute, bless and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, if sincere love loves its enemies, then you can be sure that it also includes people who mildly get on your nerves. Once again, this is a great training ground in a community centred around the person of Jesus. In fact, there may be people within a community, even within this room, who get on your nerves. I want to encourage you today to see them as personal spiritual trainers that God has placed in your life to develop you as a person. God has not placed them in your life to avoid. He's not placed them in your life to gossip about or criticise or even give the silent treatment to. He's put them in your life to love. I've got to say, I've never seen a passive-aggressive comment on Facebook help anyone express unconditional love. But what I have seen is that when we approach people directly and talk to them face-to-face, choosing to forgive and valuing unity and reconciliation above the need to be right or to get revenge, that is when love is expressed in an incredible way. Love is to be unconditional even to our enemies. God is using people to train you in sincere love. They are not a curse. They are a gift and a blessing. And perhaps you're that gift to someone else. Just saying. It may seem impossible to love our enemies, and it certainly will be if we can't even love our brothers and sisters. Which brings us to our last love bite, and that is that love seeks peace. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I think most of us love a good harmony when things are in tune, which you haven't seen at all this morning. But a good harmony, when it's happening, it feels like you're at peace. It feels like everything is right. But when things are out of tune, it just feels like there's a sense of discomfort. It says, live in harmony with one another. I wonder if there's anyone you're out of tune with at the moment. I wonder if there's someone who you're holding something against. Because when there's a conflict and we seek reconciliation, we are bringing ourselves back into tune and back into harmony with those around us. And we can't control how people respond, but we can control our own actions, the actions that we take. I read a heading on Twitter this week, heading of an article, it said this. It said, dog travels more than 100 kilometres to bite its owner after being abandoned. (laughs) I thought that's an interesting headline. And it's a very determined and bitter dog. But I know people that are just like that dog. They carry unforgiveness everywhere they go. They hold on to bitterness their entire lives, never really understanding that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It only ever kills you. I wondered to myself when I saw that heading, I wondered how the dog felt after he bit his owner. Did he go, yes, that feels better? Because I've noticed in my own life that revenge never feels good long term. It's like instant gratification followed by instant and even greater regret. 
Are there people in your life that you're not at peace with? Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Notice he doesn't just say peacekeepers. He doesn't say peace dreamers. He says peacemakers. Where there is no peace, you go about making peace. You take the first step towards someone, the first step to forgive, the first step to act, the first step to reconcile, the first step to love. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Sincere love seeks peace. As you come to the end of another year in the midst of the busyness, take the time to pause and consider how you can best love one another. Church, how are we going in regards to love? How are you going individually in your life with love? And I wonder how we're going corporately as a church. Love's not easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus as he hung on the cross for our sin. It wasn't easy for Paul, the writer of Romans, who was beaten and stoned and shipwrecked, falsely imprisoned, wrongly accused and hated because of his love for God and for others. Love is not easy, but it must be sincere. As you consider your own personal health check today, Maybe you realise your love for God has grown cold. Your faith is dry. Then pray this morning that God would help you regain the spiritual fervour you once had, that he would once again set you on fire with a love for Jesus and a love for the world around you. But maybe it's a love for others you need to grow in. If that's you this morning, ask him today for sensitivity to put the needs of others first and for sincere love that flows directly from him to love people even in this busy time of year. Paul's message to the church in Rome was that love must be sincere. I think God's message to the church in Officer today is exactly the same. Follow church. Love must be sincere. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it's stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless. God bless.